You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good afternoon, Ohio State fans, and uh, if, if you're coming out from the West Coast, uh, I guess it's good morning. Uh, thanks for turning in for a special edition of the Bucknuts Morning 5. We we aren't in the morning, but uh, we had a chance here. I'm Patrick Murphy, by the way, of, of Bucknut. We have a chance to talk with Matt Prem of uh, Duck Territory 247's Oregon site ahead of the game this weekend. Uh, should be a fun one, Matt. I know we just got done recording on your guys' podcast. And uh, I think we're all kind of looking forward to seeing what will uh, what will be between the Buckeyes and the Ducks. How you doing today? Good. It's uh, exciting time. Getting ready to go to football practice, actually. And after I wrap up here with you, and it's the last media day of the week for us. I don't know how it is for you guys, but they get on a plane Thursday to head to Columbus. We'll be out in Columbus Friday, and next thing you know, football. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you just about. Obviously, the, the timing of this game, uh, a noon game local time means 9 a.m. for Oregon. You said they're flying out Thursday? Yeah, so they've kind of geared everything for the last six weeks for from a time perspective for this. Um, you know, they played a 11 a.m. game last week. That was by design to have them up ready to go before they come out this week. Um, they leave for Columbus I believe Thursday afternoon, though, they always practice in the mornings um, okay. out here. Uh, typically their practices right now, school is not in session. So it's kind of, there's two different time frames. When school is not in session, uh, they, they will practice around 9 a.m. And then when school is in session, they practice right around eight. So they, they're an early morning operation um, and they've been practicing, gearing everything through fall camp for an early game. So outside of the travel and then the adjustment that physically comes with that, you know, this team has been practicing for the last six weeks or so early mornings to get themselves ready for the, the time difference. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I know in the past when Ohio States traveled out West, um, you know, playing some of those later games, but I feel like, you know, your body can be, especially a college kid can be more geared to that yes. and getting up early. So that's interesting that they've catered that way. All right, let's get into to this game in general. Um, you know, a top 15 matchup uh, for, for the Ohio State fans who didn't watch the game for Oregon last week. Kind of take us back real quick and go through that game. I think people saw the final score and, you know, maybe initially think, you know, okay, Oregon didn't, didn't come to play. What was your kind of reaction to the game against Fresno State? Yeah, it was uh, a weird game because it opened up like it was going to be a straight-up blowout. You know, Oregon's defense forced a turnover and recovered the football inside Fresno State's five-yard line, scored a touchdown. Uh, and then a couple plays later on defense, they forced another fumble, got the recovery, uh, and scored a touchdown. Next thing you know, they're up 14-0, and then it goes 14-3. to um, And – 
Oregon had an opportunity to put a score in right before the end of the first half. So it was 21-3 and or 21-6, I believe, yeah, at that, that point. And then uh, personal foul penalty by Justin Flo, their five-star second-year true freshman, put the ball inside the 25-yard line of Oregon's uh, side of the field with less than about 30 seconds to go. And that led to a touchdown with six seconds left in the first half. So a 21 to six game all of a sudden turns into a 21, 13 game at the half. And um, Oregon's offense was not good. They, they, they were not as um, explosive as expected. Um, they basically ran though the same like five or six, six plays throughout the entire game. Um, and you could argue, well, like they were very vanilla and that's why it led to the low explosiveness. Or you could also argue they should have executed better and they should have been able to beat Ohio State or excuse me, beat Fresno State um, by more than seven points. They needed a fourth quarter comeback to to get that game. And, uh, and I will say this, though, when the pressure situations were on, um, Oregon's defense forced the turnover to get the ball back. They went down, kicked the field goal to score the ball, uh, to sc- score three points, tie the game up at 24. And then they got a quick stop again to get the ball back in the fourth quarter. And they ultimately then scored the game winning touchdown to win 31 24. So when the pressure was on, they excelled. But the problem is, there never should have been any pressure in the first place. You mentioned uh, kind of the vanilla offense. Do you think that was a product of not wanting to show too much leading into this game? I think so. Um, Eric and I, my coworker, uh, and also Jared Mack uh, on DuckTerritory.com, we've discussed this at length where we didn't like that game plan. You know, work on the things that, you know, who cares if Ohio State sees what you can do. Use what you can you have and work on those situations in a game like situation to know if you can execute them or not. I, I, and they didn't do that. I think they went vanilla. You know, I asked uh, the coaching staff why they didn't throw the ball downfield as much uh, maybe as we were expecting. Cause all we've heard about is, you know, the talent at the receiver position. And it's true on paper, this is as talented of a receiving core as they've ever had. Um, and they, they only took in my eyes, I think three or four shots down the field, you know, Moorhead, and to his credit, he's true. He's right here. Um, you know, they called a couple other ones, and you know whether it was pass protection or maybe Anthony Brown didn't throw the football. Uh, they had other downfield throws that just didn't execute them. At, you know, physically execute the downfield throw. So I, I don't know. It's one of those weird things where it's like it makes sense, but it, we don't agree with the fact that they went super vanilla if they did. Sure, sure. Um, looking forward to this game. Yeah, I think the big question is is obviously on Kayvon Thibodeau, the star defensive end. I know you guys have written about it already, but for people who haven't necessarily been over to your guys' site, take us through kind of the injury and where we stand right now with his status heading into the Ohio State game. Yeah, so late in the first quarter, uh, Fresno State offensive lineman pushed back a Oregon defensive lineman and that duck player, you know, ultimately ended up rolling over Kayvon Thibodeau's ankle um, and that sprained it. He left the game. He walked off under his own power, um, immediately went to our, what we have at Oregon is the medical tent and 
got some tape done, retaped his ankle, did some flexibility work, and, and missed the next defensive series. Um, and then when Oren got the ball back and and they consequently then punted, uh, he did not go out that next defensive possession. Um, he was still working on testing his ankle out. He was working with the trainer, you know, doing his typical sideline stuff of running sure. sideways, running up and down the field, uh, seeing kind of what the ankle was able to do. And then so he missed that next defensive possession. And then on the second defensive possession of the second quarter, he returned into the game. He played uh, two more defensive possessions before leaving a couple minutes before the end of a half because it was assumed, hey, Oregon's got the ball with a couple minutes left. They're probably going to use almost the entire time of that quarter score. And then, it, you know, they won't really need them for 30 seconds. Well, Oregon scored probably a little quicker than they expected. Um, and he didn't come back out into the game. He, he came back out in street clothes for the second half, wearing a walking boot and out of Oregon. And it's, I'm sure this is standard practice everywhere. It, it, even if you take the wrong step off the sidewalk at Oregon and you just tweak it even the slightest, they are going to put you in a walking boot for the entire week um, just to ensure that nothing bad happens. Now it's, it's an ankle sprain and, and it's going to be, you know, he's not going to be 100% uh, if he plays in this game. I expect he will. Um, Crystal Ball will speak later today, and we'll probably get good clarity on that as well. But um, this idea that you know he's definitely out of the football game would be more of a shock, I think, not just for me, but for most of the media that covers this Oregon team. And we were talking about it yesterday. Is it was pretty unanimous. We all expected him to, you know, to be a guy that's on that field on Saturday. He just won't be 100%. Yeah, I mean, even I think that's the the approach for for people here. I mean, you expect in a big game like this, if if a player like that has any chance to play, he's going to want to be out on the field. Um, while we're on the defensive side of the ball, let, let's hang there. He is not the only star player on this Oregon yeah. defense. I know he's the name. That's probably the name most Ohio State fans are most familiar with. Um, who are some other guys on the defense that that Buckeye fans should be familiar with, and and what do they bring to the table? Yeah, there's four guys on this defense, Kayvon Thibodeau included, that uh, a lot of people in the Oregon program view as a potential first or second round draft pick at some point when they come out. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau is obviously a potential number one overall pick in 2022, but then Mikhail Wright is a junior, he's a sophomore, excuse me, but he's a third year sophomore. He's yeah. played a ton of games for Oregon the last two seasons. Um, he is viewed as a, a potential second round draft pick when he comes out, maybe a guy that can move himself into the first round elite cover corner. He will be Oregon's primary guy. I expect Ohio state to, to test him a little bit, but you know, knowing Ohio state's personnel and then how deep they are at, at receiver, they'll just throw to the other guys that are you know, not being covered by Mikhail because he can't cover everybody. Um, right. And then their linebackers, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, they're, those are the two highest-rated linebackers in program history coming out of high school, both of them five stars in the same recruiting class in 2020. Uh, I, I believe Flo was one, and I think so, Sewell was two. Uh, Flo is probably the the more sideline-to-sideline guy and you know better player in space, is a tenacious linebacker from a hitting standpoint as well. I mean, he made the fumble – uh, in the fourth quarter to get the ball back for Oregon against uh, Fresno State. And then Sewell is just a physical specimen, a guy that you just don't see very often. He's he's like six foot two and 270 pounds. 
and he's not maybe the best in pass coverage. He's, he's, he's adequate, but not elite there. Um, but he is very, very good against the run. Uh, those would be the four guys I, I would look at first and foremost. And then if there was a fifth, it would be Verone McKinley. He's kind of the QB of the, of the secondary. His dad played in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he's been a starter. This is his third year. Um, he's been a starter all three years at Oregon. Uh, in 2019 as a redshirt freshman, in 2020 as a sophomore, and then this past year now he's starting his third year, uh, a guy that's played a lot of football for Oregon. Yeah, and that Sewell name is one Ohio State fans will be familiar with. Penny Sewell, uh, Penny Sewell, however you say it, offensive tackle at Penn State that, that played against the Buckeyes the last couple of years. Um, let's, uh, let's move to the offensive side of the ball. Um, Anthony Brown, a guy who's, who's been there, what, two years now at quarterback? Yeah. I know he didn't start last year. What does he bring? Um, you know, obviously he has a lot of experience from his time at Boston College. What, what kind of quarterback is he? What does he uh, do for this offense? Yeah, he's, he's not the downfield thrower that Justin Herbert was, but he's probably more elusive of a runner than Justin Herbert was. So you're giving a little bit of a trade, you know, trade off there. Um, he, he's played a lot of football and at Boston College, he put up good numbers when he stayed healthy, and he's certainly playing in front and around better talent at Oregon than he has at you know than he did at Boston College. Uh, that being said, you know it did not show a hundred percent against Fresno State. He was off a little bit, but some of that was also not uh, anything that he was doing to his degree of the field for why they weren't executing. The offensive line didn't protect him as good as they could have every single time. But he's a guy that can beat you with with his feet. Um, he, he's also someone that, you know, his, his touchdown pass to Johnny Johnson, a 32-yarder down the sideline, was on the money, was perfect. Uh, and then he had another one to Johnny Johnson that netted a PI, uh, perfect play there. But then, you know, earlier in the game, he skidded a pass off a defensive lineman's face mask when he had a wide-open guy for a, a 25, 30-yard gain. Uh, he missed another pass that could have been a touchdown. Um, if, you know, it still hit up the receiver in the hands, but it wasn't a really good throw, uh, that, that it, but nonetheless, it should have been caught. So it's kind of one of those guys where I, I argue and say it's, he's not the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Um, I would be surprised if he ends the year as uh, the first team all-conference quarterback, but he's certainly someone that a majority of the conference would trade to have as their starting quarterback. Yeah, and in watching that game last week, I was just impressed, and I hadn't seen much of him. Um, just the ability with his legs, I think that'll be something that you know this Ohio State defense, a young linebacking core, um, you know, young secondary, what we'll have to be aware of a guy who can move around. They've seen some of that in practice, but um, you know, I think it, it'll certainly be a test for them. His receivers, um, you know, which guys do you think are going to test this young Ohio State secondary the most, and uh, you know, what what kind of weapons does does Brown have around him? Yeah, the receiving core is one in which it's kind of in transition right now from the old guard to the new. And there's two veterans, two guys that are, are super seniors, Johnny Johnson, the third, and Jalen Red. Uh, both these guys play as true freshmen in, in 2017 and are back for another season of football um, because of the NCAA's uh, decision to allow an extra right. year of eligibility. They've been basically four-year starters you know, the previous four years at Oregon. Um, Johnny Johnson is the, the team's best receiver, but he's he's not a, a six foot three guy that you know that, that has NFL 
first round potential. You know, he might get picked at the tail end of the NFL draft if he has a good season this year, but he, he's certainly not an, a, a speed or, you know, demon or he's just a guy that runs really good routes, seems to catch pretty much anything that goes his way, uh, it, but is not the most overly athletic or physically imposing guy. Micah Pittman is a four-star receiver that that worked in the slot this you know the last couple of seasons. He started at slot over Jalen Red uh, against Fresno State, and, and he's probably Oregon's most sure-handed receiver on this team. Uh, but then after that, it's a bunch of freshmen. Um, Chris Hudson is a guy that played at St. John Bosco High School. was a four-star guy uh, in 2020. Uh, he's in his second year as a being a true freshman, if you will. Um, he had some good catches against Fresno State. And then it's a, a trio of, of true freshmen, first-year true freshmen, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, Isaiah Bravard. Uh, those guys, uh, Franklin especially, is expected to start. He got hurt and was limited in the Fresno State game, so he didn't end up starting, but he still played. Uh, but those three true freshmen are, are kind of being viewed as the future of the position. They're all looked at as potential NFL players. They're all over six foot three. Um, Troy Franklin is 6'4", Dante Thornton is 6'5", and Isaiah Bravard is 6'6". So you know, they've got some taller receivers that are in here. They're just inexperienced. And it's a group where at the beginning of the year, the older veteran guys are going to be leaned on as kind of the go-to guys. But outside the program, at least, the expectation is that one or maybe two of those four freshmen kind of emerge as kind of the go-to guys at the end of the year. Offensively, in general, you know, I think most Ohio State fans are aware that this isn't the Chip Kelly offense anymore. Yeah. But um, how how do you describe what this Oregon offense wants to be? You know, I know it's much more physical than the team that Ohio State faced in in the national championship game. Obviously, that was seven years ago. A lot changes since then. What does Mario Cristobal want from his offense that the the Buckeye defense will have to deal with? Yeah, you know, they, they are a downhill running attack. Um, you know, they want to wear you out, and that's kind of what happened against Fresno State uh, last week. And, you know, it was the first three quarters, Oregon was averaging three, four, five yards a carry on the ground. And then in the fourth quarter, they didn't change any running backs. They still used the two guys, C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye. But that average just then crept up from three to four to five to six to four, five, six, seven, eight yards per carry. Um, that's kind of what they want to do. And then when they do throw the football, they want to be able to execute it. They want to be able to have some big plays down the field. They want to be really good in the immediate intermediate stuff. But it, but you're right. The, the program in itself is entirely different when these two teams last played each other. Um, under the Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich era, it was kind of like, hey, they're going to have maybe a top five offense in the country every single year. And if they could just get a defense that statistically ranks in the top 25, they're going to be pretty good. It's kind of flip-flopped now. Um, now that you know, when we were recording our show, I was kind of thinking about this, and you know, it's kind of crazy how at Oregon the last under Cristobal, at least, it, they're they've leaned way more on their defense the last four years than they have in the previous eight or nine years at Oregon. You know, this this defense at this season, when if Kayvon Thibodeau is healthy, they are they are truly elite. They are special. They are stacked. They have NFL guys at all three levels. And I think you could argue if with a healthy cave on Thibodeau, they probably have the best player on the football field. Um, but that's going to be the ultimate question is cave on Thibodeau healthy or not. Right. Uh, but back to your question offensively. 
this is a team that they, they control the clock. They want to wear you down so that in the fourth quarter you give up the explosion plays, the big plays. That's typically how they win these games is, you know, they just dink and dunk you all the way through the season, through the game. And then in the fourth quarter, uh, you, your dam eventually breaks and they get an explosion play here or there for a touchdown and, and you can't stop them on the run. Sure. Um, bigger picture question. And, and we touched about this a little bit on your guys' podcast, but from, from an Oregon perspective, what would a win in this game mean? I know that, that the Ducks obviously played in the college football playoff several years ago, um, you know, been in the Pac-12 title game, things like that. But to come to Columbus, get a win against a program like Ohio State, who played in the national championship game, have, have won multiple Big Ten titles, things like that. What would that mean for the program, for the fan base, for everything? Yeah, I mean, the conference needs this win bad. Um, yeah. yeah, it helped that UCLA beat LSU last week, but that was a home game, and I don't think LSU. You know, we'll see if LSU is actually a, a top fifteen-ish team or not. You know, in a couple weeks as the season progresses. But from an Oregon perspective, if they win this game, it means the playoff is a real possibility because Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, and myself we're all in agreement they should not be playing this type of a football game because. In the Pac-12, they play non-conference. They play nine conference games, and in the history of when the league is at 12 teams, no single team has gone through the entire conference undefeated and then win the conference championship game. So, if if they lose, history says you're probably going to drop one more game, which essentially knocks you out of the college football playoff. So, if they win, now the, the playoff really becomes a real possibility for this team because even if they do drop that traditional one game in conference play, and you still find a way to win the league, you're going to be 12 and one. You're going to be in the college football playoff because you have a marquee win against an Ohio state team that more than likely will win the big 10. Um, I don't think a win is going to be something that it's like program defining because the, the program has reached a point now where this is a huge game. It's obviously one that means a lot for this season, but it's not going to be, like the Fiesta Bowl in 2020 and 2001 when, or 2001, excuse me, when they blew up Colorado and that opened the floodgates from a recruiting standpoint. Oregon's already recruiting at a high level. They've got a top 10 recruiting class. They've right. led the conference recruiting three years in a row. This is, this is a game that has just simple ramifications on this season and it would create a, a legitimate playoff opportunity for Oregon and its fans to, to really get excited about. And last thing I'll ask you, um, what, what is the sense you've gotten from Oregon fans in terms of, you know, travel for this game? Are, are we looking at a big, I know it's, it's a big trip, but are we looking at a, you know, a good number of, of Duck fans at Ohio Stadium on Saturday? I'm interested. Um, I, I wish I had a concrete answer for you. Um, sure. Traditionally, Oregon does send a good amount of fans to these types of football games. Um, I remember back in, 2007 when they went to Michigan and you know they played at the big house and that was a game yeah. in which they won um, I think there was 20,000 fans if not more uh, at that football game when they played Wisconsin back in 2000 they had a really big contingent there as well um, in 2006 I believe they played Purdue at Purdue and that was a game in which they had over 15,000 fans for that football game so traditionally, you know, 2019, they played Texas or they played in Texas against Auburn and they had over 35,000 fans at that football game. So you know, they're going to have 
a good number. Um, I do wonder though, because of the ticket prices, because of we're still in a pandemic and flying yeah. to and, and from you know, Eugene or Portland to Columbus or wherever you have to go, that deters some people. I do know people are going. I know I personally know you know people that are going to be at this football game. Um, so I, I would expect a crowd. I would expect a, a, a good solid crowd. Um, is it safe to say there's going to be a just a huge gob of green in in the stands, and and they'll be very vocal? Probably not. You know, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's ten. 10,000 fans that are, that are there for the game from an Oregon perspective. Yeah. Well, all things considered, I think that would be a, a pretty good turnout. It's unfortunate that this series has been altered by, uh, you know, COVID obviously last yeah. year with the game not taking place in Eugene and maybe not as big of a crowd for this one. But, um, you know, these teams are going to meet again in like 10 years. So, uh, you know, just, just wait a few years. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. Um, I really appreciate it. That was some great insight. I hope everyone out there learned a little bit more about Oregon ahead of this. Um, this was a little long for a for a Bucknuts morning five in the afternoon, but it's a bonus sh bonus show. So uh, we wanted to give you guys some good stuff. For Patrick Murphy, for the rest of us at Bucknuts for 247, thanks again, Matt. We'll talk to you all soon, and we'll see you guys on Saturday. <laughs>